Welcome to the fifth episode of Film Studies Bling Bling, the first monthly issue about hidden and well-known treasures from film studies. Big and small diamonds in the field of film studies that I find interesting. Today you will hear Naomi Daugard in an interview. She's a PhD candidate at the University of Zurich. We talked about a paper she wrote together with Josefina Dieke. It is about how color, film technology and society influence each other. In the news chapter, I would like to draw your attention to a call for proposal launched by the Amherst Board, an interesting opportunity for you to get funding for a local scientific event. In my diary, I give insight into my first experiences with my citizen science project that has started last month. Here is the bling of the month, February. Hi, Noemi. It's nice to have you on the podcast. Um, you are a PhD candidate at the Department of Film Studies at the University of Zurich. Uh, we met in 2019 at the so-called uh, Film- und Fernsehwissenschaftlichen Colloquium. I don't know how to translate it, maybe Film and Television Studies Colloquium. A conference traditionally organized by young academics for young academics. This year, the conference will take place in Braunschweig in March. I don't know, maybe we meet each other again. I will be there. Will you be at the colloquium also? Well, thank you so much for having me, first of all, Anna-Luisa. As for the FFK, unfortunately, I won't be able to make it this year. Um, I will be in London, where I will be attending the Color and Film Conference and a symposium on screen star makeup. So they, they're all taking place at the same time, so I only can make the ones in London. But I'd love to be there another time. I had a good experience the first time. I mean, London is a great thing and I think it's a, a huge conference you're organizing. Um, Barbara Flückiger is also part of the organizational team, right, from this yes. conference. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. At the FFK, where we met each other the first time, you were accompanied by Josephine Dika. She's also a PhD candidate at your department and you both gave together a lecture on an interdisciplinary approach in, again, color film research. Um, so I thought it might be interesting if you can just outline in a few words what your talk was about. So Josephine and I presented our methodological approach to color film technology at the FFK. So our idea is that in order to prevent the propagation of teleological ideas on technology and so-called grant narratives, um, we try to focus on how color film technology and society mutually constitute and influence one another. And so we link socio-constructivist approaches with cultural studies, which allows us to focus on the relevant actors, their expectations, and the negotiation strategies involved. So in our research, we analyze complex power dynamics and social interactions that have shaped the history of color film. And in at the FFK, we presented this approach and also had the case study of Japan and um, the way that nitrate film production worked in Japan in the 30s, as an example. And a paper on your talk will be published in March in the FFK Journal by the publisher Avinos. I had the pleasure to read this uh, paper already, and um, I really have to say it's a very, very interesting case study you're discussing this approach on. I mean, your doctoral project is also about color film, so you're really on the way to really become an expert in this uh, field, um, research field, I would say. What exactly 
is your research question um, in your doctoral thesis. I mean, as I read the paper with, with a lot of interest, I'm also quite curious when uh, your PhD uh, thesis will be available to read. Um, so in my doctoral thesis, I investigate the development of early color film technology from about 1895 to the late 1930s. Um, my main research question focuses on the societal, cultural and political context and on how this influenced and shaped the emergence of color in film. So I analyzed the discursive roots of color film in scientific, theoretical and societal discourse, which ranges from really um, discussions of physical perception of color to theories of color orders, debates on representation and to notions of uh, taste and beauty. Um, and in terms of when I will be done writing it, I think it will take a little more time, I'm afraid. <laughs> when is, is there a prognosis when, you, when you're ready to publish? Well, I mean, I hope I will be able to, to finish writing my thesis by the end of this year. So, yeah. Perfect. Okay. So I cross my fingers for that, definitely. Um, I mean, film studies at the University of Zurich, as you're becoming an expert in film color research, um, I would say that from my perspective here from Babelsberg, um, the, the University of Zurich or the film studies department is really an outstanding center of color film research due to the ERC Advanced Grand Film Colors and also due to the SNSF Film Colors, Technologies, Cultures, Institutions. But from your point of view as a young film studies scholar, there are also other projects going on. What else defines the research project of film studies in Zurich except this very huge and productive and interesting uh, focus on film color? Yes, as you said, I think film color is certainly a big part of it. Professor Barbara Flickiger, who is doing the work on, on color also had a couple of projects on digitalization and its consequences on film culture, film history and cultural heritage, which I think is also a very important focus. Um, but in general, I would say that the film studies department in Zurich is very diverse and collects great expertise in various fields of film studies today. So we have also projects on film format, scale and film exhibition. So also on experimental film and um, film festivals. But there is also a bigger section on silent cinema and to turn to early sound film um, or also documentary films. So I would say it's a very uh, wide range of topics. And in 2019, Film Studies in Zurich celebrated its uh, 30th anniversary. How did you celebrate it? How did you celebrate this diversity also, this uh, range of research interests? I mean, you were also part of uh, the organizational team, right? Yeah, we have a series of events to celebrate the anniversary. So we had an anniversary conference to start off the semester, uh, where it w which was focused especially on the the young PhD students presenting their work. And then we had a workshop for the students where my colleagues Josephine Wieck and Philip Bloom invited the German director, Jörg Furt, who talked about filmmaking in the GDR and in the framework of the East German DEFA film studios. We also hosted a lecture series on the year 1989, which is where I was involved in the organization, together with my colleagues Philip Bloom, Fabien Leptay, Patricia Pfeiffer and Vera Schamal. And for this lecture series, we uh, really try to look at the year 1989 um, through films, of course, really taking into consideration all the things um, that happened in that year, because, of course, it's a very tumultuous year. 
And so we invited guests from a variety of backgrounds to talk about specific topics, such as the Romanian Revolution, the AIDS crisis, the fall of the Berlin Wall, but also music videos and pop culture. And of course, we also had a, a big uh, party to celebrate the anniversary with. Wow. So as you said, a huge variety of topics you were dealing during this uh, celebration formats and ceremonies. And you had a great cake. I saw it on Facebook last year. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned already that in this year, 2020, um, the writing or finalizing of your uh, doctoral thesis will be of importance for you. But maybe there are also other, uh, I don't know, conferences or things that are important. What, what kind of plans do you have as a doctoral student this year? Well, apart from, yes, writing my thesis and uh, the conference and the symposium in London, um, I will also be probably attending the next conference in Palermo, which is in June. Additionally, together with my colleague Brecht Lamiris, I'm editing a special issue of the German magazine Montage AV, which is also very exciting. But apart from that, yeah, I think the main focus will be my thesis. So I really hope to have another chat with you in this podcast, for instance, um, at, in Palermo, because I really hope to be there too. And uh, maybe we can then have a chat about the publishing you're doing on Montage AV, because it's an amazing uh, magazine. So maybe this might be a good topic for the next chat. Yes, of course. It'd be nice. Thank you very much, Noemi. And good luck to all the things you plan and to you. <laughs> Thank you very much. This is the news chapter. On February the 1st, the YEMHIS board launched a call for proposals for the YEMHIS challenge. I had the pleasure to speak to the coordinator of the challenge, Melanie Bell. She's Associate Professor of Film and Media at the School of Media and Communication at the University of Leeds. Hi, Melanie. Uh, before we talk about the challenge, give us an idea what is behind the abbreviation YEMHIST and what does the YEMHIS stand for? Uh, YAMIST stands for the International Association uh, for Media and History, and uh, we are an organization of, of scholars, uh, academics, filmmakers, uh, archivists, um, broadcasters, who are committed to really kind of historical inquiry into a range of different media, so film, radio, television, and other kind of related media. So that's uh, that's who YAMIST is. And let's talk about the call for proposals for the so-called YAMIST challenge. One can win uh, financial support to organize a local scientific event. This can be a one-day symposium, a masterclass, a workshop, or or other comparable activity, to whom exactly is the challenge scheme open? The challenge scheme is really open to kind of uh, young, junior um, scholars. So uh, that includes students who are studying for a master's, PhD um, students, and any colleagues who would identify as early career so anybody who's within roughly kind of five years or so of a PhD um, award. So it's really a scheme for young academics, young researchers, young practitioners, because of course YAMIST um, also reaches out to practitioners in the community. It's a scheme for uh, young and up-and-coming scholars and practitioners to support them in their career development and, and dissemination of their research findings. Beautiful. And, and suiting the profile of the YAMIS, I suggest that the scientific event should be on a 
media and history topic in terms of the thematic focus, what kind of proposals does the Yamhest welcome? We welcome really the widest possible variety of, of topics on, on media history. I mean, we know that audiovisual materials, audiovisual me media itself is really a great source for historical and social science research and teaching. So any proposals that really kind of speak to uh, that mission statement, I guess, of Yamist. And it might also be proposals that um, address kind of questions around the preservation of audiovisual materials and proposals that really help improve access to the archival uh, materials that we have. So um, we're, we're kind of very broad uh, in our interpretation of what proposals are suitable for the challenge scheme. And is the application only possible within Yamhist membership? Yes, you do have to be a member of Yamist. But that's the beautiful thing about the challenge is that you will be, if you're not already part of the community, you'll become part of a really vibrant community of media scholars and activists and uh, historians. So yes, you do have to be a member of um, Yamist, um, but there's lots of benefits that come from being a member. Uh, so, and it is, it is possible to become a member if somebody is not a member now, they could join uh, the Yamist Society and then take part in the challenge. That would oh, be okay, so you don't have to be a Yamist member for many years. It's totally fine to just become now a member and then apply and or take part in the challenge, right? Absolutely, yes. So you don't have to have been uh, a member for many years. Um, you could have joined recently or you could join um, for the purposes of um, accessing the challenge funds. That would be absolutely fine. We would hope that you would become a long-standing member of the community, but you can join to take part in the challenge, yes. Actually, I'm, I'm a Yamhist member and I became a Yamhist member because of the challenge and I stayed in the Yamhist community because it was such a beautiful experience and still is. So Brilliant. Yeah, just... good, good. You're a role model. Yeah, exactly. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> what are the aims of the challenge um, of this this uh, scheme? Um, what are the yeah, overall aims you try to follow with this challenge? Yeah, we really want to, because this is aimed at um, um, MA, PhD students and, and you know, young, young scholars, we're really interested in two things, really. One is to kind of, for it to be a kind of showcase for new and innovative research, innovative kind of practice, innovative methodologies, but, uh, and also through that, The second aim really is to kind of support researchers as they kind of develop their professional networks, you know, further develop their research related and other transferable skills as well. So it functions as a space for showcasing the brilliance of uh, young scholars and young filmmakers and also to help them develop even further as well. So that's its aims, yeah. For how much money can I apply and until when should the event take place? Yeah, so the pot of money uh, which um, people can apply for goes up to 1,500 US dollars and the event should take place sometime before March the 30th, 2021. So there's about a 13, 12, 13 month window in which we would want awardees to, to uh, deliver the event. And who decides on the awarding and how many events can be supported? One or two or maybe more? The awarding of the prizes is decided by a small committee 
made up of um, people from the um, Yamist Executive Council. You can go on the Yamist website and see who the council members are, and there'll be um, three of us who will sit down and award the, the award the prizes. And the um, executive will make two awards in this round. So there will be support for two events in the 2020-21 window. And if one of the listeners now think, okay, I want to apply, I have a good idea for a workshop or a one-day symposium, where can they find more information on the, say, formal criteria, for for instance, uh, the length of the proposal or additional documents that need to be submitted? Um, Is there, for instance, an application form to be used to, to apply? Yes, there is. So uh, if anybody's interested, um, the first port of call would be to go to the Yamist website and you'll find on the Yamist website there's a, a little button or a tab that says Yamist Challenge and you can click on the tab And in there, you'll find the full details for the challenge scheme. It tells you how to apply, what the eligibility criteria is, etc. And you can also download the application form from from that uh, website. So go to the Yamist website and click on the challenge button and all the details uh, you'll find there. And then there is another important information we need from you. Um, by when should the application be submitted? And do I send it to the Yamlist or do I send it to you? Where does the proposal has to be sent? Yeah, yeah. So it has to go to uh, myself. So my email address is m.j.bell, B-E-L-L, at leads.ac.uk. That address is in the application form, so um, participants will be able to find it easily. And applications have to be sent back to me by March the 30th, 2020. So that's the deadline. Got about six weeks before the, the scheme closes. Okay, perfect. And um, how long do I have to wait then when I applied uh, with a proposal? When does the participants be informed whether their proposal has been selected? Yeah, so it'll take us about a month to read things and we will let participants uh, know by the end of April 2020. So by April the 30th, you'll have a decision from the committee. Thank you very much, Melanie, for all the information. I really hope that we find a lot of uh, beautiful um, and interesting um, proposals and uh, young scholars taking part in this challenge. Yes, absolutely. So please um, do get in touch Do send your ideas through and we really welcome them and look forward to reading them and look forward to some really fantastic symposiums and workshops for the next 12 months. Here comes my diary entry. My research project deals with the image formation of so-called film cities. Part of the research relates to artifacts in urban space, artifacts that refer to film history and current media productions. These include streets named after filmmakers, images of actors in public space, cinematic objects placed in a hotel for decoration, for example, an old film camera. One of my theses is, the cinematic objects are part of a concentric film-induced urban space and at the same time bring it into being. They surround central cinematic institutions in the city, such as the Babelsberg Film Studio or the Film Museum, and thus integrate other urban structures into the film-induced space. Another thesis is, that the cinematic artifacts primarily relate to Ufa history and that the majority of them honor male filmmakers and film characters. I thought that this part of the project would be suitable for a citizen science project. The citizens of Potsdam are the experts of their city. 
They know best the places in the city where film history is referred to. So I invited the citizens to report their cinematic finds to me between January the 25th and February 23rd. The data will be used to create a street map that will make the cinematic face of the city of Potsdam visible. We will use this map to take a walk with the citizens through the city's cinematic network. Furthermore, the hypotheses that have been established will be tested together with the citizens in a public workshop. What can I record so far? The claim that citizen science is a method to save work in data collection is, at least as far as my project is concerned, wrong. To be honest, it would have been easier and more time-saving to go around the city with my student assistant and collect the data by ourselves. The realization of my citizen science project is characterized by an enormous effort in preparation. It had to be clarified which citizens I wanted to address, through which channels I could reach the citizens, how I could communicate with them, and exactly how the citizens could participate. A project page had to be created. A suitable app had to be found and set up for the project. Numerous questions of data protection and data management had to be clarified. The task set for the citizens had to be scaled so that it could be fulfilled by them and easily communicated. I had to find a strong local media partner in order to make sure that the project was communicated properly through the media. Above that, materials such as press releases and flyers had to be created. And I have produced videos to explain how to participate. Why this effort was still worthwhile, I will tell you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to Film Studies Bling Bling. In the next issue, we hear an interview with Stefanie Eckert, the new head of management of the DEFA Foundation. Furthermore, we hear Kerstin Fröber in the news section on a recently published study dealing with the question of how far the movie theater context enhances the valuation and aesthetic experience of watching films. If you would like to learn more about the interview partners or to find links to the topics we talked about, please visit my project page, filmische-stadt.projekte-filmuni.de. And please contact me via email if you have hidden or well-known treasures from film studies I should mention in this podcast. My email address is a.kiss at filmuniversität.de.